0: The following podcast contains general advice only and does not take into account your individual circumstances. Listeners should speak to an accountant or financial advisor before making any investment decision. Hello everyone listening. Welcome to this week's episode of the Market Pulse podcast. My name is Dion and this is episode nine. Don't be so crude. Thank you for tuning in this week if you do have a question for the show as always email marketpulsepodcast at gmail.com unfortunately we don't have a have a question this week but again as i always say in the future if you do have anything you'd wish me to talk about or, or if you have a question really about the markets or about your own investing needs feel free to shoot that one through if it works a little bit better you can also use twitter which is at marketpulsepod that's my handle there I just had my first ever audio problem which I had to sort of start the recording again because one of those ice cream trucks came into the street as I was recording and I couldn't get rid of that background noise, it was so loud. So now I can officially claim I'm one of those podcasters that whinges about having sound issues and having to re-record. And I'm uh, nine episodes in, so well done. Let's first have a look at how the market fared this week. Unfortunately, it was a red week across the board, but we'll start on the domestic front. The ASX200 was down 4.5%, the US didn't fare too much better, the S&P500 over there was down 1.3% and the NASDAQ, it uh, was actually only down 0.2% so it did okay, it was pretty much flat for the week, probably held up there by the strength in some of those tech stocks. Of course the market was again primarily focused on news and developments surrounding COVID-19 However, we obviously saw a fair bit of noise and I'm sure you noticed about oil prices which I'll get into a little bit later into the podcast. We're also going to talk a little bit about Netflix too later in the podcast. On the COVID-19 front, the world now has 200,000 deaths and about 2.9 million cases in total. Here in Australia, we're starting to talk a little bit now about winding back sort of social distancing restrictions that we've had in place Not completely, of course, and not all at once, but slowly over time. You know, my state, which is Queensland, the Premier literally only in the last few hours announced an easing of restrictions that will begin next Saturday, which, you know, allows people in our state to, say, get on the jet ski or the boat for recreational purposes and have a picnic with someone else or shop for non-essential items. There's a couple other things, but... It still sort of maintains restrictions on the, the group size and the number of people you can do this with. It also sounds like New South Wales is beginning to ease school closure restrictions. No doubt the market will continue to look at these kind of developments over this week and in and, and the coming weeks and digest this information and I guess assess our careful but slow return to some sense of normality. Arguably the biggest news occurred probably almost, I think it happened like minutes after it actually submitted the podcast for upload last week, I spoke, of course, about Virgin Australia and then I think news broke, yeah, I think within the hour that said that there was pretty much an imminent announcement that the company's going to enter voluntary administration, which is exactly what did happen Monday morning. Virgin released a statement confirming that. Their announcement was that Deloitte's taking over as voluntary administrators. I noticed on their actual statement when I read it that they said that the Velocity Frequent Flyer program is not actually part of the administration, which is funny because I have actually seen a few people online talking about how they've been just cashing in all their points lately because they just don't think there's going to be anything left to use it on. There's been so much news this week about Virgin, including the names that are potentially circling to be part of whatever actually remains of Virgin on the other side of this. So a lot of the eastern states, so New South Wales, Queensland, Victoria, they're all of course throwing their names into to be the headquarter state of the airline if it comes out of this. Obviously Queensland of course wants to keep it here in Brisbane, but uh, New South Wales and Victoria are also keen on the idea of having the headquarters. US investment house, Oak Tree Capital, which I've talked about there, the head of Oak Tree Capital, Howard Marks on this podcast before. They are reported to have also been looking at Virgin. They are not a stranger to Australian distressed debt opportunities. I think more. I think the most recent example with their involvement was Blue Sky. Before before that, I think it was Billabong. I think they were part of taking Billabong private or something. Anyway, I don't want to talk about too much with Virgin. I sort of mulled over that last week, and it's something that sort of information seems to be changing every couple of days, so it's one to watch and for now of course Virgin shares remain suspended on the Australian Stock Exchange. There was more data on the huge surge that certain parts of our retail sector, I guess the lucky parts of our retail sector have experienced as of late. Uh, this quote is from the AFR on April 22nd, it said that retail turnover jumped 8.2% in March the strongest seasonally adjusted month on month rise in the history of the data series kept by the Australian Bureau of Statistics. You know, I'm curious to see how this holds up and sort of what the, the coming months and especially the next month looks like, especially if, well, it seems obviously, the, at least in my anecdotal experience, the hoarding seems to have stopped, but the hoarding can also lead to reduced spending. <laughs> so, you know, you can hoard as much toilet paper as you want. It doesn't mean you're going to use any more than, than you would usually. Uh, I guess if you had gastro, you might. And speaking of toilet paper, I also saw a quote from the chief exec of a company called Encore Tissue, which is actually one of Australia's biggest toilet paper manufacturers. He mentioned his plant is still at full capacity and they're making about 1 million rolls of toilet paper per day in March, which is 25% more than what they were doing the previous year. But let's quickly mention what's been happening across the pond in the United States. In the US, again, we saw just historic numbers again of unemployment claims or new unemployment claims an additional 4.4 million Americans claiming benefits in the previous week and this is obviously a tracker we've been looking at on this podcast and that brings the total of pretty much since the COVID-19 outbreak got really bad uh, the total comes to about 26.5 million over the last several weeks so this week is as in this week coming is actually a, a really big week for the U.S. markets because they're they're entering, entering like what they call earnings season, which is basically a time of the year where companies release quarterly updates and earning quarterly earnings reports to the market. And it's a way to, I guess, for investors to look under the hood, so to speak, and see what's actually happening with these companies. And whilst it's always an important time as an investor, right now, obviously, given the circumstances, it feels increasingly important to look at what these companies are doing and, and how, I guess, COVID-19 is affecting them. You know, part of my reason of not being too confident that the the market is uh, over the worst of it just yet is that we're we're truly yet to see the impact of you know all these job losses and probably decreased spending, at least discretionary spending, and the shutdown measures uh, from governments all around the world. We're yet to see that impact actually on the financials of these companies, and that's likely to be coming through over the following months and. This week is a big one for US tech companies. So you see quarterly updates from Facebook and Apple, uh, Microsoft and Alphabet. Alphabet's the parent company for Google. Also, we're trying to work out if North Korea's dear leader, Kim Jong-un, is dead or just simply on a beach holiday. So what a week. Let's kick it off and we'll talk about one of the big US companies that already did release its quarterly earnings report this week. And I mentioned them last week and said that I was curious to see how they have fared or will fare during this lockdown and that company is Netflix. So last week I pondered the impact that COVID-19 has already had on a company like Netflix and, and the market has obviously has been quite confident on Netflix lately. They've driven the share price up about 29% this year already and they're sitting around the $425 US dollars per share. Netflix is one of those oh, I should have known about this or I should have invested in them kind of stocks that that at least I've found when I talk to people in my travels. It's definitely a company that was much more, I guess, known in the US before it was ever known here in Australia. And in fact, Netflix at one point was effectively like an, an amalgamation between Blockbuster and Amazon in that it would actually sell or rent DVDs to customers via the mail. So you would still subscribe, so you'd have a subscription like we kind of do, well, like we exactly do now with Netflix but the business model was one of giving you a catalogue of all their titles and you would pick something and then that would be mailed out to you. Of course, the Netflix we know in 2020 has come a long way from those days and what I mean by saying it's one of those companies that people always say, oh my God, I wish I'd invested in them, I can't believe I missed it, it seems so obvious, It's is that it's it's been one of the best performing stocks of the last decade at least on the u.s market i'm citing here a december 2019 so a few months old it's an infographic from visual capitalist capitalist rather which highlights that if you had thrown hundred dollars in netflix just 10 years prior it'd be worth three thousand eight hundred and sixty seven dollars so quite a staggering rise but i'll add that it's not like, it's super easy to pick clear winners. You know, 10 years ago, Netflix was not exactly what it is today. However, congratulations if you are one of those people who have participated in their success. You can basically plot a graph of the numbers of, number of hours that young people spend watching TV per week against the Netflix share price over the years. And obviously, with TV, uh, you'll see that falling and you'll see the Netflix share price just surging. Remember, Netflix is now in in, in quite a competitive environment. They're not the only one doing what they do anymore and probably more recently the talk has shifted to how they will fare fighting up against some of the big companies that release their own streaming platform being Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus. Well, what happened this week? So uh, analysts, I guess the consensus of analysts across the board had expected that Netflix would add around... 8.47 8.47 million new paid subscribers over the first quarter of 2020, and that's them taking into account, you know, COVID-19 and everything like that. And Netflix actually came in and basically almost doubled that. They came in at, uh, they said they've added 15.77 million new subscribers over the quarter just ended, so well above the general consensus of market analysts. For comparison, that that is quite a big jump in terms of quarter to quarter subscription growth. So I had a quick look at the data myself of of past quarters and saw that they added closer to around 9 million new subscribers in the last quarter of 2019. So this brings their grand total so that the total amount of subscribers they have on Netflix to 182 million worldwide of which 70 million are actually in the US itself. Currently, Asia Pacific is actually the biggest growth region for new subscribers, and then and Latin America is uh, quite high too. So it only comes in second, but it, it's a big growing area for Netflix. And of course, as we discussed last week, the drive in new subscribers primarily comes from people staying in, you know, watching Tiger King and not being able to leave their house. And the share price didn't actually move too much this week. And you might be thinking, well, why not? Surely it's really good news that they've added 15 and a half million new subscribers but there's a few things to keep in mind as I mentioned the share price has actually been rising a lot since January and this is where you'll hear the the term priced in so to speak so investors were already expecting a a decent jump in subscribers due to COVID-19 hence why the price has gone up and all this buying activity over the last few months perhaps more of a minor point I know but execs of, of execs of Netflix have outlined that their growth will likely not be you know as high moving forward this is potentially just a a bump like a, a sugar hit that won't continue at the current rate as we go forward plus it's it's also important to remember the the effect of really bad economic times and people do tend to start to cut or at least minimize discretionary spending but this is all sort of playing out as we speak it's not like it's super clear of course, the full ramifications of, yeah, you know, economic ramifications that is of COVID nineteen, but you know, a consumer is much, much more likely to say cancel their Netflix subscription as opposed to lowering the purchase of you know essential items at at Coles or Woolworths. The other thing I wanted to talk about this week is oil prices, which maybe you're wondering with all the news <laughs> this week around oil prices. Hitting, what do they say? Almost negative forty US dollars a barrel. Just you know, does this mean that I can go down to Caltex or Shell or BP and they're going to pay me to to drive down there and take some petrol off their hands? Unfortunately, no. Although I will add, petrol prices are actually the cheapest I've seen since I got my first car, which was oh gosh, thirteen years, <laughs> thirteen years ago. Yeah. Uh, well, oil futures made a lot of noise. This week, and I first wanted to sort of break down what that means and what they are. Because when you invest, say, if you wanted to invest in oil, you could look at one way to do it you could look at buying oil producing companies, for example. So in Australia, the names of those companies that spring to mind are the likes of Woodside Petroleum, uh, Santos, Oil Search. They're some of our our biggest oil producers in Australia, or Oil Search do their operations in, in Papua New Guinea. And if you Google the share prices of these companies, you'll see that, you know, that they've basically fallen off a cliff, you know, due to COVID-19 in the first quarter of this year. And now some of this comes from, you know, the pricing wars, which we talked about many episodes ago between Saudi sorry, between the Saudis and Russia. And whilst their tune has recently changed and they did agree to some cuts, they basically weren't prepared to cut oil production that much effectively and, and this comes at a time when you know we've got quite a lot of oil going around too much in fact as we've started to hear and you can probably personally relate to this and say that you know we aren't really filling up our tanks as much as we used to right now and if you combine that with this the general lack of planes that are flying in the sky you know it, it makes for quite a tough environment if you're in the business of producing oil So outside of investing in an actual oil company and buying shares in an oil company, another option I guess is a financial instrument that they call futures contracts which I guess effectively allows an investor to speculate on the direction of the price of oil. So the simple definition of a futures contract which I have pulled here from Investopedia because they've got really good content on their website and they're really good at breaking this down. So, a futures contract is a financial contract, and it obligates the parties to transact an asset at a predetermined future date and price. Now, it's important to highlight that futures are very different to a somewhat similar uh, financial instrument called options. Uh, in options, the investor has an option, because it's in the name, to buy or sell an underlying asset. When we're talking about futures, you're you're obligated. By that contract to if you're holding it when the, when it expires to actually purchase that underlying asset so that asset could be anything it could be gold it could be uh, government bonds it could be shares or indices uh, but what we want to talk about this week and what was causing a lot of problems this week was oil and there are two primary oil benchmarks that you'll see you'll see referenced on the news so if you're if you're watching the news and maybe it cuts to the finance section and those two are Brent or Brent Crude Oil and WTI. And WTI is what caused all the problems this week. So uh, Brent Oil refers to oil that they extract out of the ocean, sort of north of the European continent and sort of west of Norway. And so that, that sort of refers to that, that European extraction of, of oil. Whereas WTI, which stands for West Texas Intermediate, as you might have already guessed, refers to US produced oil. So that's, that's the two sort of big oil benchmarks. There are other benchmarks but that's the two primary benchmarks. And so here's the very interesting thing about the WTI benchmark. When a monthly contract actually expires and you're holding that futures contract on WTI oil, you actually have to organize the physical delivery of said barrels of oil. And as I understand it, from which I didn't actually know myself, that's not actually the case with with other oil futures. So, like if you're trading Brent futures, it's not settled in in uh, delivery of oil; it's just settled in cash. So this is what caused such a problem this week. So at the start of the week, uh, you had this monthly contract for WTI oil futures that was expiring on Tuesday. The problem being that there's not a huge amount of storage space right now for oil because we as consumers and just generally business and manufacturing and all that kind of stuff aren't actually using that much oil. And So one of the primary sort of storage spots for WTI is in Oklahoma and they're not really taking much in either. So effectively what happened is you have this fire sale. So imagine you're, you're a holder of one of these contracts and you're sitting there on the day it expires and you're like, well, hang on, I don't, I don't want any oil. I don't, the last thing I want to do is actually have some physical oil. So you sell your contract, but you start to sell it so low and you start driving the price down and down and down just wanting to get rid of this thing that you actually, well, in the case of what happened this week, you drive that price into the negative and it comes to the point where people are willing to pay someone else to take the contract off their hands. That's how how desperate they got. So whilst the actual, so the price of oil or maybe the better to understand the price of fuel we pay at the petrol pump is not going to hit zero, unfortunately, it was certainly a panicked week in oil markets as the continued effect of the current economic slowdown and shutdown affects you know, one of the biggest driving commodities of economic growth essentially. So hopefully that made a little bit of sense around what happened with oil prices this week. I'm not actually a derivatives trader, I've never actually traded futures myself so I'm somewhat unfamiliar with futures from I guess a personal point of view. Uh, what are we going to see because of this, I mean, surely there's just going to be a, a ton of pressure now on those oil-producing countries to cut production even further. So that's a OPEC Plus countries. I think I saw this week, I can't remember if it was on the, the news or just their YouTube channel, but Comsec's Tom Petrovsky was interviewed on TV and he mentioned that the cuts that OPEC Plus recently made were barely about a third... Of what is actually needed to stabilize the oil prices. So there's going to have to be quite some much more substantial cuts uh, to bring some stability to that price. Well, that's pretty much it for this week. I uh, hope you found it interesting. I hope the, the future stuff made a little bit more sense and why it doesn't mean that you can go down to your local petrol station and uh, get paid to take some oil. Unfortunately, not. If you had to enjoy this podcast. We're up to episode 9 now, which is which is kind of crazy. But if you if you do enjoy it, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. My name is Dion. Thank you for joining me this week, and I'll see you next week.